Biologists and paleontologists have been able to reconstruct the histories of different organisms by studying their anatomy and genetics. By comparing and contrasting different traits and looking for similarities and differences in DNA sequences, they can discover which species are more closely related and share the same ancestor in the past. These common ancestors would have been populations of organisms that gave rise to new lineages of species. These relationships are then plotted on phylogenetic trees, which look like family trees and effectively perform the same function. When all the species in a phylogenetic tree are examined, wider trends can be discovered, and scientists can learn how certain traits developed over time. The actual dates for the emergence of traits, as well as the times when populations split apart can be uncovered too, using molecular clock methodology. I've mentioned before how biologists learn that mutations happen at certain rates. By measuring these rates and counting all the differences between two genomes, researchers can give an estimated calculation of the time when those genomes were the same, that is, the genome of their common ancestor. The methods used to construct phylogenetic trees and estimate molecular clocks allowed researchers in August of 2018 to give estimates for how long it took for early life forms to evolve. They were never able to find out when the very first living things arose, but given how evolution works, it's certainly possible that there were many experiments that led to dead lineages. The researchers were able to calculate the age when the last universal common ancestor of all life lived. This population of organisms, known by the abbreviated name LUCA, is named because not only did it give rise to every living creature in the present day, it was one of the last ones to do so before the descendant populations diverged. LUCA is estimated to have lived over 3.9 billion years ago, so the earliest living things may have arisen immediately before that time, or much earlier. In any case, Within at least 600 million years of the Earth's formation, the planet was home to living things. As previously stated, the oldest fossils are of bacteria and archaea, 3.4 billion years old. These are prokaryotic organisms, with simple cells housing a free-floating bundle of DNA. The researchers of the August 2018 study found that these two lineages fully diverged from each other right about this time. Bacteria look superficially similar to archaea, and at one time the two groups were classified together. Thanks to genetic studies, we now recognize that these two lineages are vastly different to each other, including in the ways that their cellular membranes are formed. There are thousands of unique species known today, with many more being discovered as field biologists probe the most unfamiliar environments. For the next one and a half billion years, Earth was home to the prokaryotes. By looking at the features shared by all bacteria and archaea, and recognizing the early history of the Earth, we can figure out how the first prokaryotes behaved in their world. I've explained how there was no free oxygen in the Archean Earth's atmosphere, so these prokaryotes would have been anaerobic, able to function without the aid of oxygen atoms. The abundance of inorganic materials in their environment provided all the food they needed to survive. They were lithotropes. Given the ever-present rain of ultraviolet light on the Earth's surface, most of these prokaryotes would have stayed down in the deepest depths of the ocean, making use of the energy provided from hydrothermal vents. The earliest remains of living things that can be seen with the naked eye are strange structures called stromatolites. These are formed when bacterial colonies build up over time, with the oldest colonies becoming mineralized as calcium carbonate particles land on their surfaces, gradually turning them to stone. New bacterial layers simply grow on top of the hardened remains, and this process can continue, with some stromatolites reaching impressive sizes of several feet. The oldest remains appear in the fossil record about 3.4 billion years ago, and we know how these structures form because there are still colonies of bacteria that form stromatolites today, in the waters of Australia and the Americas. What is particularly important about stromatolites, however, is that most of them were made by colonies of bacteria called cyanobacteria. Traditionally, and incorrectly referred to as blue-green algae, these bacteria are photosynthetic organisms, 
They obtain food by converting sunlight into energy. In essence, carbon dioxide and water molecules are converted into sugars, which give the bacterial cells energy. Scientists know that the process of photosynthesis today is different from that during the Archean, due to two main factors, waste products found in rocks, and the timing of bacterial lineages. By looking at 3 billion year old rocks that contain deposits of sulfur, geologists recognize that early photosynthetic bacteria would have used hydrogen with carbon dioxide to make sugars, only later switching to water molecules. In doing so, the waste products would not have been sulfur, but oxygen atoms. It was originally thought that ancestral cyanobacteria were the first photosynthetic organisms, but the August 2018 study demonstrated that their evolution occurred much later in its history, too late to have made the sulfur traces in the rocks. Those bacteria would have belonged to another lineage, and there are other groups around today that undergo photosynthesis to survive. In any case, now the Earth had a system that produced free oxygen atoms. Beginning around 2.95 billion years ago, Earth's oxygen content began to grow in tiny increments, with most of the oxygen waste products reacting with the dissolved iron that floated in the oceans, or simply becoming absorbed into the water. By 2.45 billion years ago, the amount of oxygen produced really began to spike. Geologists noticed a particularly high amount of iron oxides in rocks starting around that time. As the oxygen atoms mixed with the dissolved iron, they fell to the seafloor and produced a rich red rust. As more layers of ocean sediments covered these deposits, more rust accumulated and formed a striped pattern that geologists today called banded iron formations. Starting around 1.85 billion years ago, all the dissolved iron in the oceans ran out, so the oxygen atoms had nowhere to go but up. The levels of free oxygen didn't change much, however, as the land was now absorbing oxygen atoms and combining them with other elements to produce new minerals at great abundance. Some of these new minerals include the first deposits of copper, mercury, nickel, and uranium. The Archean Eon ended 2.5 billion years ago with the first rise in free oxygen. The next eon in the geologic timescale, the Proterozoic, lasted until 451 million years ago. This point in Earth's history is marked by several key events in the evolution of life, as well as the continuation of the Great Oxygenation event that began during the Archean. As free oxygen settled on the surfaces of the Earth, prokaryotic organisms continued to thrive and evolve. By this point in time, many lineages had developed their own forms of metabolism, that are able to take advantage of a wide range of food sources, and stromatolites increased in abundance. Though prokaryotes reproduce asexually by splitting themselves in two, genes were also shared between populations. This lateral gene transfer, so named because it doesn't work generationally, allowed prokaryotes to flourish, because beneficial mutations could be freely shared without waiting generations. By far the most dramatic event in the evolution of proterozoic life, indeed life in general, occurred around 2 billion years ago the origin of eukaryotic life. Eukaryotes are distinguished from prokaryotes by several key features of their cells that essentially allow them to perform more complex tasks. These organelles, almost like little organs, perform a variety of functions and their disparate locations allow for incompatible chemical reactions to be separated. The main control center of the eukaryotic cell is the nucleus, which houses all the genetic information. A vast membranous system called the endoplasmic reticulum ensures that new proteins and lipids are produced. The Golgi apparatus sorts the various proteins and sends them to their required destinations. And then there are the mitochondria, which makes ATP molecules that give energy for cellular metabolism. That's why they're called the powerhouse of the cell. All these organelles and more work like a factory to keep the cells alive. Eukaryotic life is perhaps the most familiar type of life known to lay people because all animals, fungi, plants, algae, and many diverse microorganisms belong to this group. Diverse though they are, all prokaryotes are closely related. In fact, at their most minimal level, all eukaryotic cells are made up of the same parts. 
and they all share very similar DNA sequences. These observations tell us that all eukaryotic organisms stem from a single common ancestor, the last of which the August 2018 study places at around 1.84 billion years ago. There's evidence that their origins are a bit older, at 2 billion years ago, but just how could eukaryotic life have evolved, so complex as it is from prokaryotic life? The key to this process lies with mitochondria. This may come as a surprise, but while the nucleus of a cell contains DNA, mitochondria have their own DNA as well. They can make their own proteins too. On top of that, mitochondria are enclosed in a double phospholipid membrane inside the cell, which is odd because all the other organelles have only one membrane surrounding them. The biggest clue came from genetic studies that compared the DNA sequences of mitochondria to other organisms like bacteria, and they revealed a very close relationship between mitochondria and a lineage of bacteria called alpha-proteobacteria, which includes species that cause typhus, as well as symbiotic species. What this means is that mitochondria did not develop from eukaryotic cells, but must have come into contact with another prokaryotic cell in its environment. That leaves the question of what type of cell that ancestral eukaryote would have been. Again, genetic evidence has given us a clear answer. Living eukaryotic organisms are more closely related to archaea than to bacteria, and close comparisons of their cells tell us that eukaryotic cells are really just complex archaeal cells, or more simply, that eukaryotes evolved from archaea. Biologists interested in this event speak about endosymbiosis. Eukaryotes evolved from a fusion of two prokaryotic cells that came to live together. So how did this happen? Around 2 billion years ago, a free-living alpha-proteobacterium encountered a free-living archaeon. The archaeon engulfed the bacteria, perhaps at first viewing it as a food source. However, that's not how things ended up. The engulfed bacteria proved to be very beneficial to the archaeon because its ability to make ATP allowed the archaeon to use some of the excess energy-producing molecules for its own functions. Likewise, the archaeon provided the bacteria with a safe home, free from other prokaryotes that would have eaten it. This was a symbiotic relationship, two organisms working together to increase the chances of their survival. Over time, cells like these would replicate, and their offspring would inherit copies of the little bacteria, the ancestors of mitochondria. Eventually, the archaeon started to fold their outer membranes inward, centering them around their genetic material. Studies of modern prokaryotes tell us that enfolding of their membranes is a thing that happens from time to time. This process effectively separated the DNA from the rest of the cell, and better controlled metabolism, giving rise to the nucleus and the endoplasmic reticulum. By 1.84 billion years ago, the last universal common ancestor of all eukaryotic life had evolved, with a cell that contained abundant organelles, including mitochondria. From there, they quickly radiated into a number of different lineages, including amoebas, flagellates, ciliates, and the very distant ancestors of animals, fungi, and plants. To continue this episode, please go to part 4.